looking at the Minor Prophets. And I hope that you have been joining us each and every week. And I, if I don't say this enough, if there's, if there's a week you've missed, you can find that online. Uh, we, we put all of our sermons uh, on audio. Uh, and so they're online on the website, and then also you can see the Facebook uh, post as well if you want to continue to watch there. Uh, we have been looking at each one of the Minor Prophets one time during uh, each Sunday. Uh, and I and tell you all every time that Minor doesn't mean that they're not significant. Uh, minor doesn't mean that they have less value than what we would call the Major Prophets. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, they would be what we would say would be the Major Prophets. It doesn't mean that the Minor Prophets aren't as important. They're just smaller, so they're easier for us to read, easier for us to study. And so I just encourage you each and every week uh, to, to read along with us. This week we're going to be reading and uh, studying Zechariah. Uh, now the first nine prophets that we've looked at, they all spoke and warned the people that exile was coming. If they didn't repent, that exile was coming. But now we get to Zechariah, and the next three that we're going to look at, Zechariah, next week we'll do Haggai, then we'll do Malachi. They are all speaking after exile is done, is completed. And so their message is, is a little different. Uh, and so what you see is that you get a point where uh, Zechariah, and next week when you see Haggai, uh, they are beginning to uh, talk about and speak about rebuilding uh, of the temple. Now, a little history. You may hate history. Just bear with me for a moment. Uh, in 722 uh, BC, the northern tribes were taken into exile. And then I think it was 587 BC that the southern tribes were occupied and they were, uh, they were taken into exile. Uh, and so you had, uh, if you go back and look at some of the other Old Testament books, you had Ezra, Nehemiah. They begin to talk about the, the people uh, of Israel uh, returning and, and rebuilding uh, the temple. So you get... Zechariah and you get Haggai who are talking about it and they talk about it different ways so over the next two weeks as we look at them just kind of read them and think about them in comparison with each other uh, Zechariah is much more indirect really the point for Zechariah is the coming of the Messiah however you come to realize his indirect logic is that if we're going to wait for the Messiah and expect the Messiah that we've got to restore worship and to restore worship We've got to rebuild the temple. Uh, really, if you didn't have the, the writing of Ezra, you really wouldn't be able to connect those things. But if you go and look in Ezra chapter 5, it, it kind of blends those to where you kind of learn a little bit better. Uh, but, but you can see that that's kind of his indirect point of, of restoring worship. And so as you're reading this week, and I hope you will, as you read this week, kind of keep that in mind that as he's talking about this, he's encouraging the people uh, to begin to restore back to worship. Now, I've told y'all before, some of the other minor prophets, they're kind of difficult to read. Uh, Zechariah is also difficult for a different reason. Has a lot of apocalyptic language. So if you are one who loves the book of Revelation, uh, you're probably going to like really love Zechariah. Uh, if you're one who struggles with the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel, uh, then Zechariah also includes some of that. You see visions and, and all of these type of things. And we'll talk a little bit about those today, but just be aware that it sometimes is a little more difficult uh, to read because of the, the apocalyptic language and literature that's included in this. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Zechariah. Uh, I am encouraging you to bring your Bibles. We 
we don't have the pew Bibles in front of you, uh, I sometimes don't even put it on the screen because I want to challenge you to bring your Bibles. For those of you who are online, I, mean, I encourage you to have your Bible with you uh, as we read. Uh, you may not be a note taker, but for some of you, you like to take notes. There's ways you can underline, highlight, circle words. But if you're not one who likes to write in the Bible, then you can have a notepad with you uh, and take those notes that way. Um, we're going to start at least in Zechariah chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first six verses. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the Lord's word came to Zechariah the prophet, Berechiah's son and Edo's grandson. The Lord was terribly angry with your ancestors. But you must say to the people, the Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, return to me, says the Lord of heavenly forces, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Don't be like your ancestors to whom the former prophets preached. The Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they didn't listen. They didn't draw near to me. So where are your ancestors? Do the prophets live forever? In fact, didn't my words and laws, which I gave to my servants, the prophets, pursue your ancestors? And then the people changed their hearts. And they said, the Lord of heavenly forces has treated us according to what we have done, exactly as he planned. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We as a church uh, are striving to do something that Stockbridge First United Methodist Church has never done before. We are striving to do something that most churches across denomination, across all denominations are striving to do. And that is to figure out how to return to worship, to restore. We've lived through or are living through a time where we have been separated. And so we are learning how to do that. And, I, and so I think that there's some, that, that's the, the point of Zechariah's text is to help the people of God restore worship. I think there are some common things that we can gather from this text. Zechariah is awakened. He's awakened by visions. And so one thing I think I just challenge all of you, both online and in person, what is God awakening you to? What is God awakening us to? What is God awakening the church to at this point in time in history? So first we have to acknowledge there's, there's eight visions. I'm just going to list these for you if you're a note taker or if you're not and you read, you'll, you'll see them. But there's points to the visions. First, you have horsemen of different colors. And these represent for us God's plan to rebuild Jerusalem. And then you have horns as part of the vision. And the vision is God's power over the world's power. God's promise is that he will destroy the forces of this world in the messianic age because remember that's what Zechariah is talking about the coming of the Messiah you have a third one which is a measuring line and again what you see is is God is building God is the master builder that God is going to be the foundation you see the high priest and the vision here is this process as the spiritual messianic age comes that you have to go through a spiritual cleansing and it has to start with the high priest. 
you see a fifth vision, which is a gold lampstand and two olive trees. And this represents the presence of God. And so Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel will be successful because of the presence of God, as you read Zechariah. You get two more, which is a flying scroll and a woman in a basket. Both of those represent God dealing with sin. And then you get the eighth vision, which is four, chari four chariots. And what you get is God ushering in peace in the midst of his reign in the world. And so what you see in summary is God awakens Zechariah to these visions about God's power, about God's presence, about God's promise that he will bring peace in the midst of his reign, and God's promise to deal with sin. God used these visions, God used Zechariah's preaching to really empower the people to restore to worship. And so I want you to think about this first. The first three visions are about the promise of God. And I have talked about this before, probably a year or two ago, that that's really the start of it, is the promise of God. What is it that God promises us? God promised through him that his temple would be built, that his temple would be rebuilt. God promised that he is going to defeat the powers of this world. God promised that he is going to be the master builder and that he is going to lay the foundation for his church. This was God's promise. It is God's promise today. I want you to stop and think about as you begin to think about your life of faith, what promises of God are you leaning into? Because here's where we have to be careful. We can name something we want and call it the promise of God. And that can be dangerous. Right? God promises me that I'm going to be happy my whole life. God didn't promise that. God's never promised that. God promises me that he will not give me more than I can handle. God doesn't promise that. In fact, I would make the argument that it's the exact opposite. That, it's, that, that God is okay when those things occur, not okay, but God, those things allow the happens that we can't handle because what God's goal is, is for us to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And it pushes and drives us to depend on the Holy Spirit. And in that we grow in our faith. What is the promise of God that you are holding on to? Let me share a couple of these that I just, that I think about, but I would include or encourage you to think about as well. Matthew 16, 18. Talking to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter. And I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. That is a promise of God. I look around and I, and I know that I've had conversations with many of you. And there's a point where we, we struggle, where you're worried about the church. It is not your church. It's not my church. It's Jesus Christ's church. And God promises that he will build the church. God promises that nothing will come against it. Instead of spending our time worrying, let's claim a promise of God. That God promises that nothing will overcome it. Begin to live that out and claim that as you think about what promise you want to live under. 
Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a verse many of you probably have heard. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. God's promise is that you will receive the power of God in your life. I want you to think about that. It is a promise that you will receive the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You will receive that power. The promise that breathed life into the dry bones and created an army. You will receive that power. The promise that the power that parted the Red Sea, you will receive that power. You will have the ability to be a witness. When somebody comes and goes, I, I just don't know that if I, you have the power of God in you. Claim it and live it. That's a promise from God. Philippians 4 says, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. That is a promise from God that God's power that resides in us will strengthen us, will help us endure, will help us persevere. Look, many of us sit in this room because this has been a hard year. And what I would tell you is that the power of the Holy Spirit will strengthen you, will give you the ability to walk through tomorrow, walk through the next day, that will give you the ability to persevere and endure. That's a promise from God. He will carry you. Claim it. Claim that promise today. But as we think about the promises of God, when you see those visions and you read them, there is something that also has to accompany the promises of God. And that's the purity of God's people. I don't know how many of you, this will be a good, how many of you have ever know the story or heard the story of Achan in Scripture? Anybody? Oh, I got a hand up. Okay, good. Anybody else? Okay, good. Okay, so a couple of people. I don't know how many of you online. Yeah, this is, this is. But Achan is someone that many of us don't really think about, know about. But his story is very interesting. So if you go back into Joshua, and if you go to Joshua chapter 6, you're going to get the Battle of Jericho. How many of you have heard of the Battle of Jericho? Okay, so we got more hands on that. So Battle of Jericho, if you haven't heard this story, is that uh, God's people come against, come, come into Jericho, and, and um, God challenges them to circle Jericho and every day for six days to circle and blow trumpets and march around the city and on the seventh day he gets the priest to blow the trumpet and everybody shouts right and when they shout the walls of Jericho crumble in the city is captured and victory is given to the people of Israel that's Joshua 6 Joshua 7 Go and read it. Joshua 7 is the battle of Ai. And the battle of Ai is much smaller. It's a smaller city. So the people of Israel, they come up with their own plan. Because we can defeat something that's much smaller. And so they go against Ai and they are crushed. And come to find out that the scripture goes on to talk about Achan. You see, when they had their victories, they were told not to plunder anything. Don't take anything 
But Achan decided he'd take just a little bit for himself. And God says, that little bit of disobedience is important. I say that to you because a little bit of disobedience is still disobedience, right? If you're a parent or if you've been around little kids, delayed obedience is still disobedience, right? If I tell my child to go do something and I hear, well, I'll do it in a little bit, it is disobedience. People of God, we have to realize that also included in these promises of God is the purity of God's people. Part of those visions is God dealing with sin. It's one of the things we've seen throughout many of the minor prophets is the seriousness to which we have to take sin in our life. God blesses obedience. Are we being obedient? Are we being obedient in our own individual lives and are we being obedient as the people of God? In the fifth vision, we see a very important truth in Scripture. If you've got your Bibles, flip over a little bit to Zechariah chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 6. This is the Lord's word to Zerubbabel. Neither by power nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Do you see what that scripture is saying? Our success is not tied to our ability. It is not tied to our talents. It is not tied to uh, uh, our intelligence. It's not tied to our looks. It's not tied to anything that we may want to claim. It's not tied to our resources. It is tied to God and God alone. Do you see the implication of that? We, individually and together as a people, we have to be in God's will. We have to be in God's will. Think about for you, how many times do you make that part of your prayer for this church, for your church? God, help us to be in alignment with your will. Help us to be willing to let go of anything and everything to be in alignment with your will. That's what God is calling us to do. We have to be careful. We have to ask the right questions. We have to be willing to pay the cost. We have to be willing to sacrifice, suffer. Don't let us say we can't do something because God can. If, if we limit ourselves to what we can imagine, what we think is possible, what we think that we can do, we do not think big enough. Because God is bigger than anything that we can think and imagine. Charles Spurgeon, great evangelist, said this, it's, It is extraordinary power from God, not talent that wins the day. It is extraordinary spiritual unction, not mental power that we need. Mental power may fill a chapel, but spiritual power fills the soul. Mental power may gather a large congregation, but spiritual power saves souls. What we need is spiritual power. For those of you who are walking through grief right now, what you need is spiritual power to be able to sustain 
and empower and carry you. Haggai, Zechariah, as they talk about the rebuilding of the temple, ultimately the plan was the coming of the Messiah. It has always been and will always be about the relationship. Go back and look at the very first verse we read. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord of heavenly force proclaims, Return to me, says the Lord of heavenly forces, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Return to me, and I will return to you. We have to be encouraged to walk in our obedience with God, even in the difficult times, even in the times that we don't feel like it, that we don't want to. But God says, if you return to me, I will return to you. That is a promise of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who promises to never leave us. A God who promises to strengthen us. A God who promises to return to us. A God who promises to provide for us. Help us.